What if you could be doing something smarter with your money that creates income now? If you're wanting to get ahead financially and enjoy greater freedom of choice, if you want a comfortable retirement and you know you'll have more choices if you can do more with your money now, if you've wondered who else is creating ways to make their money work for them and you want actionable ideas with honest pros and cons and no fluff, welcome to the Richer Geek Podcast. We're here helping people find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. I'm Mike Stoller, and in this podcast, you'll hear from others who are already doing these things and learn how you can too. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Richer Geek Podcast. Today, we have Galen Hare. He's the owner of Insurance Claim HQ. It is a property casualty casualty insurance attorney firm that operates more than seven states. And what they do is they help families rebuild their homes and businesses. They've dedicated their practice to fighting for the rights of policyholders when they experience a loss. Uh, You know, not a lot, you know, a lot of us don't realize that we actually have someone that can voice and help us. So I, I think this will be extremely exciting and uh, some good content. Uh, welcome, Galen. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? You're doing, doing great. Uh, you know, so let's dive into this. You know, you are uh, one of the national top 100 trial lawyers, and you've been concentrating on helping people, I guess, you know, with their claims. Is that, you know, the best way to put it? Yeah. So plaintiff lawyers are typically kind of, we think of personal injury lawyers, you know, ambulance chasers, if you want to use a a negative term, what I explain is we help hurt buildings. We don't help hurt people, if that makes sense. Yeah, it it does. You know, and it's, and so I've got a lot of questions, you know, I have a lot of, you know, rental homes and a lot of our listeners have rental homes or, or other things. Um, or is all insurance the same? You know, can we just do? You, should we go with some of the big names or some of the smaller ones? You know, is there a kind of difference? Can we just, hey, you know, this is, you know, hundred bucks cheaper. It, you know, does it really matter? Yeah, there's a massive difference, right? And I think that's kind of the key point to make is that insurance is the weirdest thing because. When you go buy a car, you think about a few things. You do think about price 100%, mm-hmm. but you also think about like, is this kind of the right thing for me? Is this the model I want? Is it going to be reliable? Do I trust my teenage son or daughter to drive it for the first time? Right. There's all these things we think about whenever we're making a, a major purchase. How many people chose the first house they were going to live in purely based on price? And a lot of people here investigate right? Mm-hmm. Or they invest, sorry, not investigate. So one of the things you're doing is you're partially choosing it based on price, but you're choosing that home based or that property based on the ability to potentially realize a return. Insurance is the weirdest thing because we don't do that. And I don't know why, but we don't. We tend to go to our agent and say, hey, I need insurance. They ask us a couple of questions. 
-hmm. Sometimes they don't even ask us all the questions on the piece of paper. They just make up the answers for us. And then they tell us, okay, I got three options. And we usually say, I'll take the cheapest one, unless there's some massive reason for us to take something else, right? Mm -hmm. It's mind blowing because the whole concept is that insurance is supposed to protect your investment, whether that's your personal investment, your home, your business property, or whether that's investment property, it protects it. And you're choosing often the cheapest way out, no matter what. So what you're getting often is an insurance company that may not have the best claim practices, an insurance company that may be offering you kind of a, a slice and I call it a slice and dice policy, where it cuts out some of the most likely ca catastrophic losses in your region, all sorts of things. It, it's the weirdest concept when you think about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's... That's true. You know, I think all of us don't want to read the 80 pages of, you know, what the policies, you know, detail. And you kind of hope that the, the, the broker, your agent knows what they're doing. Uh, but I mean, why can't we get these insurance claims to benefit the consumer? I mean, what, what's going on there? Why are they not benefiting the consumer? Well, we can get them to benefit the consumer and they're supposed to. And when the system works really, really well, mm -hmm. um, that can happen. And that often does happen. I don't want to make it sound like that never happens. Okay. I do think I, I'm famous for saying this, but I'm, I'm trying to think of the right way to not get myself in trouble. A lot of my contemporaries buy into conspiracy theories really, really big time. Okay. I do not think executives from insurance companies are sitting in a boardroom wringing their hands, trying to find a way to screw the policyholder. I don't think that's the case, but I do think that they're profit driven businesses, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I was watching, a, I was watching the world series at the beginning of the month. Um, we don't, I'm from new Orleans. We don't really have a lot of baseball mm -hmm. and new Orleans typically hates people from Atlanta, but Atlanta is the closest to a decent baseball team we have. So we watch them. So I'm watching the Braves win and I'm watching these commercials. Right. And <laughs> They spend over a billion dollars of advertising a year, the insurance companies. They're trying to convince you they're going to do a good job. But that doesn't mean that they'll never do a good job just because they have to invest money. So what you need to look at are kind of the general client satisfaction rates, how many complaints are filed in your state about claims handling. You have to also take into account how big the market share is, right? It's a lot less impressive if an insurance company only has a handful of complaints if they have less than 1% of the market share. Mm -hmm. It actually might be a red flag, right? That they write like, you know, they might write 30 policies in the state and had 10 complaints last year. That's a bad sign, right? Um, but you got to take into account what they're doing. And all of that kind of plays back to some things that happened in the late 90s with Allstate that have kind of changed the way claims handling work. But the process can work. All you have to remember is it's a contract between the parties. Mm -hmm. And just like if you were in a business dispute with someone you were about to purchase a home from, you would not just take it when they tell you they're going to screw you over. You don't want to take it when your insurance company tells you they're not going to treat you well during your claim. It really should be no different. You're still talking about enforcing a contract. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I had something very similar you know, and very recently, I'm still trying to go through it. We had, you know, I'm out here in Arizona. We have these wind storms, dust storms, really big. And, blew off, you know, part of the roof, you know, some of the shingles and insurance says, well, you know, you have to do a repair. 
instead of replacing the whole roof. You know, mm-hmm. a contractor goes up there and says, no, I mean, you just can't do it. You can't repair it because of underlying damage and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, and it's this back and forth thing. And so is that something, you know, where then it's like, hey, you know what? I need to call insurance claim HQ. Absolutely. So, and I'll give you, I'll give you another yeah. great example. A guy messaged me yesterday and I know him in real life. Mm-hmm. And he messaged me because I had mentioned, he told me what he got from the most recent hurricane that, that came through. And without seeing his house, without knowing kind of what happened, I said, look, if you have any damage to your roof, that number seems awfully low. It was below his deductible. Hmm. And, um, and he sends me his estimate. And it's from a big carrier. And they have written to replace 19 shingles. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, well, that's curious. Maybe it's all on one corner, right? And, and that's not even to get into whether you can replace 19 shingles anyway. So then I get the, <laughs> I get the actual photos and I see that these 19 shingles are scattered throughout. And, you know, I think, I think to myself, what are they recommending? They're recommending that he cut up 19 holes in his roof, <laughs> patch them up, and then somehow mm-hmm. that's a new roof. And these are things that we don't take into account as a consumer right? Things like, can we match? Some states allow us to match, some states don't, but Mm -hmm. is this roof going to match? Is there damage to the decking underneath? Mm -hmm. Most people don't even know what decking is on a roof. Uh, You know, for for those of us at home that don't know what decking is, that is the usually plywood that sits under your roof system that holds it all on. Well, common sense says when you put several hundred nail holes in it, it's a little bit weaker than it was before. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these insurance companies say, why don't you put a few more hundred holes in it and it'll be the same, right? So there are a lot of things that insurance companies do that are part of kind of modern claims handling that fly in the face of common sense. Mm -hmm. And when you find yourself in a situation where something they're saying just doesn't truly resonate as accurate to you, you need to get someone like us or anyone really Mm -hmm. to help you navigate this claims process. They have a lot more people than you do at your disposal. And if you are fighting them with your hands tied behind your back, you are not going to win that fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how many claims come in just under the de- deductible. It's amazing how that happens. Um, I've had a few of those. So you know, let's talk about uh, insurance fraud. Um, what is it? You know, it, is it, it now we all know on the consumer side. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, we, if I fraudulently try to get something that didn't happen. Uh, but does it happen on the other side? It does. It happens on both sides. So the common definition of insurance fraud that we are all familiar with Mm -hmm. is when you make a misrepresentation in submitting your claim or someone does that on your behalf, and that is insurance fraud. Mm -hmm. The very, very prototypical example, and it does unfortunately happen a lot, is, oh yeah, you know, my house was broken into and things were stolen, so... I lost my, you know, $500,000 diamond ring and I lost my 17 full wall size TVs and they're all brand new. I don't have any receipts for them because they were all gifts and I don't remember who gave them to me, right? That's kind of the typical, I'm I'm over exaggerating. Mm -hmm. However, that's kind of the typical insurance fraud. However, there's what we call carrier side fraud as well. And any insurance fraud, regardless of who's to blame for it, is defined as making a misrepresentation in the adjustment of a claim, an intentional misrepresentation. We do accidentally say things wrong. If you ask me how old my refrigerator is, and I say six years and it's eight years, I'm not committing fraud unless I knew it was eight years and I intentionally deceived you. But carriers do this too, and it's really unfortunate. 
Um, the way that we see it often come up is with engineers. For a long time, we saw engineers being retained. And, and I hate having this discussion because I love engineers. I was raised, I'm originally from Arlington, Texas. Engineers build bridges, they build mm -hmm. cities, they make things work. They're, they're great people in society. However, this whole cottage industry of insurance engineers kind of popped up and they, are, they were hired to provide biased opinions that provided a quote unquote scientific basis for a denial that the carrier had already predetermined. I was just deposing a very large carrier this morning and at issue is hail damage to the roof. And sure enough, they hired an engineering firm that is notorious for providing opinions carriers want them to provide, who came out and spent 12 hours conducting an inspection that was solely designed to conclude that there was no hail damage to the roof. He had explanations for all the round holes on top of the roof. He even, when, when confronted with like absolute incontrovertible evidence, had to admit that there was hail damage there, but oh, I don't think it actually created any problems for the roofing system. Um, and, and we do see that a lot. We saw that a ton during Hurricane Sandy up in the Northeast, where some of these engineering firms were copying and pasting reports without even taking into account the specific situations. I mean, one, one CEO of an engineering firm actually got arrested and Congress created a committee to reopen all of these Hurricane Sandy claims and reevaluate them. Nothing's ever happened on that scale in the United States before, but those same engineers that were doing that in Hurricane Sandy have been working every major disaster since. So, so we do see it on both sides. And you know, if you're making a claim, you need to make sure you're not committing fraud. But if you see fraud, it's not enough to just kind of say, hey, I want you to pay me because what you did is wrong. You should actually file a criminal complaint. You should get a lawyer involved and you should find someone who understands what they're doing in a manner that's actually going to go assert you assert your rights for you and call out fraud when it's seen. If you if you just turn a blind eye to it, you're allowing mm -hmm. this. You know what you said is how do we make these things work at the very beginning? Right. Yeah. I'll tell you how you don't make it work. You allow carrier side fraud to continue. And, you know, so, you know, if I ask you how people can protect themselves from that insurance fraud, it is number one, you know, just identifying that this might be happening and then get counsel or just at least ask someone if they think it is, right? Yeah. And, you know, most people that do this type of work, whether it's a public adjuster or an attorney kind of specializing mm -hmm. on first party insurance claims, they will evaluate your claim for free typically. Mm. Uh, they'll even send someone off in to get up on your roof and take a look. I say roof over and over because most yeah. claims are roof claims. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll tell you this. If you have a fire claim and you weren't paid enough to fix your house, I don't need to look at your house. You've got a claim. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but usually where the, where the rubber meets the road and the real dispute exists is on hail claims and wind claims on roofs. Mm -hmm. um, but generally speaking, the premise of insurance is to indemnify you to your pre-loss condition minus your deductible. So if you find mm -hmm. yourself in a situation where after paying your deductible, you do not have enough money to properly and fairly fix your business, your home, your investment property, you probably are in need of help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, choosing an insurance company, uh, you know, I was reading part of your bio, you're saying that you should never, ever let your mortgage company purchase the insurance for you. Yeah. yeah. Why is that? Yeah. It's the most gut wrenching thing. And we deal with it a few times a week here because we do, 
we do so much. So we run into it a lot more than other people. Mm -hmm. Um, Often when you look at that policy that your insurance company buys for you. Mm -hmm. So what we're talking about now is forced place insurance. A lot of investors are familiar with the term. And in fact, I've been to some of these classes and sat in on some of these workshops where they say, just let the mortgage company get the forced place insurance. Well, that's a terrible idea for so many reasons. Number one, it's more expensive. If you go compare on the open market what you can purchase from any of the insurance companies and compare what your mortgage company is going to charge you, dollars to donuts, 90% of the time, it's going to be higher. So just from an economic standpoint, it makes no sense, right? But some people say, oh, I don't really want the hassle of keeping up with insurance. I don't care. And here's why. When you look at that policy under named insured, it says the mortgage company. It doesn't say you. Mm -hmm. So now you're stuck with a messed up house and your mortgage company wants you to fix it and there's no money. And you think to yourself, well, this is great because my mortgage company has a vested interest in seeing me fix. They don't care. You can look at past class actions against Aquin and some of the others where they receive commissions sometimes for purchasing this insurance. Mm -hmm. So they made their money on the front end a lot of the time, not all of them. Mm -hmm. And they have no real vested interest in helping you. So we see this all the time. It's called horse place. In many states, the law actually says that you as the homeowner cannot assert rights under the insurance policy because you are not a named insured. And Mm. that is gut-wrenching because that means if you are underpaid, and look, use Hurricane Laura as an example, I can think of homes with forced-placed insurance that were underpaid by as much as $200,000, and they have been kicked out of court already and told you have no rights whatsoever because you are not the named insured under the policy. That's absolutely heartbreaking. I, I can't believe that they're even allowed to do that. I mean, it's just. just well, you know, wow. the concept is this, right? Why does the mortgage company want you to have insurance to protect their investment? Right. So when they get forced place, it's for their benefit. When you get your own, it's for your benefit. Mm-hmm. But when they get forced place insurance, it's really for them. So they get to choose what they want to do. Hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. So ladies and gentlemen, don't do it. <laughs> that's, <laughs> I mean, that's that's crazy wow um so let's let's talk about some of the things that you should look you know kind of like you know for better term you know property insurance 101 you know what are some of the things that you need to make sure it's in there um double check you know dot the i's cross the t's Talk to us a little bit about some of the things that we should be reading in those policies. Yeah. So it all comes down to what, how much, and how, how do we resolve, right? So the first thing is what's covered. And you Mm -hmm. want to look at your policy and make sure anything that normally could or would happen in that region is covered. Mm -hmm. If you are in California, you probably do not want a policy that excludes earthquakes and wildfires, if, that mm-hmm. is, if, if those are the two most likely things to happen to you. Mm-hmm. If you were in Louisiana, I do not know why you would have a policy that excludes wind. I don't know, but lots of people do, okay? Um, so you have to kind of, first thing you do is think what happens where, where this property is located, mm-hmm. write it all down, and then add to it the normal stuff, fire, wind, hail, like just the, the normal usual things. I'm not as worried if you have a terrorist exclusion because I don't know that that's particularly common anywhere. Mm-hmm. I'm not as worried if you have a biochemical weapon exclusion, although these days, I guess you never know. Um, but, but generally speaking, you want to make sure the what is covered. You want to think what could happen to this property and is it covered? 
And, you know, by the way, for those of you that do not read insurance policies all the time, it's really annoying the way they do it because they usually give you a policy that says everything's covered. And then they attach an endorsement to the back that says, well, actually delete this, this, and this from that prior page, right? So make sure you actually read the whole thing. You're not going through a checklist. It's like, it's not like when you see fire, you check off fire. No, read the whole thing. Make sure they're not taking it away at the end. They do that all the time through endorsements. It's obnoxious. And sometimes, by the way, when you go to your agent and say, send me your policy, they send you the policy without the endorsement. So make sure you have everything. And you can tell that from your declaration page. Because usually on your declaration page, there'll be a list of all the endorsements that should be attached and make sure they're all there. Okay. <laughs> so that's the what. And then the next is the how much. You want to make sure you have enough coverage that you can fix that property. Okay. And what I, I use is the matchbook test. If you set a match to the property and it burned to the ground, would you have enough money to fix the property? Mm -hmm. You have to look at two things availability of coverage. If you're talking about investment properties, you're probably not worried about contents. You're probably just worried about structure. You do need to have some liability coverage as well because you could get sued. Um, you might want some loss of use or, lo or lost rent coverage. But generally speaking, the big focus is going to be on your structure coverage and your other structure coverage. Mm -hmm. Other structures is like sheds and fences. Um, mm -hmm. And it's usually pretty small. <laughs> but make sure if that property burned down, you could get it replaced. You have to look at that number on your deck page and you have to look at co-insurance. Okay. Co-insurance doesn't come up for everyone, but when it comes up, it also is heartbreaking. It has to do with making sure you have enough insurance based on the value of the property. If you use that matchbook test, it's going to be true. Okay. Um, and what I mean by that is co-insurance, for instance, would say if the property is worth a million dollars and you only have 500,000 in insurance coverage, we're going to reduce whatever we do pay you by 50%. For instance, that might be an example. That's probably not going to happen if you got an insured for enough to rebuild the whole thing from beginning to end. So that how much will resolve itself if you truly ask the question, what's it going to take to fix it? Mm -hmm. Okay. Don't think about a hailstorm. Think about a fire. If you think about a fire, you'll end up in the right place. And then finally, the, the final thing is the how do we get there, right? In most states, there are laws that prohibit insurance companies from mandating arbitration, from forcing you to file suit too soon for pretty much anything that prevents you from getting coverage. But that's not true for all states. And some carriers like Lloyd's of London have traditionally been able to skirt those states' rules vis-a-vis -vis the fact that they're a foreign national. So, and this is where I think the most misconduct from agents and brokers comes in, is they tend to do whatever is worse than a terrible job at explaining this to you. They go get you the lowest priced policy they can and they don't explain, well, this is a Lloyd's policy and it's got a mandatory arbitration provision. And if you ever have a loss, you're gonna end up having to go arbitrate in New York with people appointed by Lloyd's and you're not gonna get to recover, right? Not all Lloyd's policies are like that. But the point is when that exists, it should be explained. So you want to then read through the process. And sometimes you need an attorney or a public adjuster to do that for mm -hmm. you. And most of them will for free, by the way, um, because they want your business later if you ever have a loss. So they're pretty, they're pretty fine telling you whether it's going to be a waste of their time if you bring them something. I will not touch most of those New York arbitration policies because they're a waste of time. Mm. It's a one-sided system. It's rigged in favor of the carrier. And it's absolutely unfair that it's permitted in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll probably look at that policy for you for free to figure out if I'm going to be wasting my time in the future. 
Uh, so find out, but if you've resolved that, what, how much, and how do we get there? That's kind of the insurance coverage 101. Yeah. And yeah, I think something else that, you know, maybe you can touch on is with the way that the home prices are going up and construction is going up and the cost of things, uh, how often, and I know that some people have had, you know, rental houses for five years, 10 years, they've never upped their coverage. You, know, you should review your coverage yearly, yearly. And I know that's a pain, right? What you really want to do in a perfect world, even though it's a little complicated, is try to get all your properties on the same schedule, right? Mm-hmm. That can be that can be a little complicated. But if you tell your agent or your broker what you're trying to do, sometimes they'll work with you on that. That way, it's just an annual exercise you go through. The other reason you want to put them on the same schedule, if possible, is you want to be able to bid out because you might like your agent, you might like your broker, whoever it is, but you know they're not the only game in town. And often what I find happens just because of the way agents are compensated is these renewals are really fantastic for them because it's mailbox money, Mm -hmm. right? It just renews and they make another commission and they move on. And then at some point, even when they retire, that becomes something that can be sold, right? So the older accounts tend not to get as maintained. So if you get your properties, especially if you have more than one on the same schedule, you're kind of a bigger renewal package. And it really allows you to shop around to other people simultaneously. So I would say every year you should be reviewing what coverage is out there because by the way, not just upping coverage, sometimes they take things out like all the time you will go buy an insurance policy. And then I'll see, you know, dealing with it right now with hurricane Ida, people come out and say, well, I don't have wind and hail. I'm like, Oh, when did that come out last year? Well, you've had the same agent for 16 years. Tell me how this played out. Well, I don't know. They just told me that last year they dropped the wind and hail coverage. And of course, no one called them to tell them. Yeah. Right. But that carrier just didn't want the risk anymore. Why? Because the earth is kind of acting funny and it's pretty likely there's going to be a hurricane. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, their, their, um, their, their risk managers probably said, Hey, we really don't want to have wind exposure in this region anymore. That's mm-hmm. probably what happened in the actuarial tables. So you really want to review your coverage yearly anyway, not just for number, you should absolutely up your coverage every year to be fair based on the guidelines we discussed, but you also want to review the actual policy and make sure that they're not proposing to take away coverage that you wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's kind of like in, in the commercial area, you know, we, we have hotels and it was very quick to point out that we don't get loss of business, loss of rents due to bio, you know, COVIDs, you know, pandemics, you know, that was very quick to be put in to make sure that all of us knew that we could not get loss of loss of income for those types of things. And uh, if they were in there, they're, definitely not in there anymore right i mean this is, oh, yeah. they're, they're very savvy with saying well you know we're not going to pay that stuff out anymore and, um so when we have a claim uh should we assign it i'm just thinking you know should should we do an assignment of claim oh to like a contractor yeah give contractors and you know this is going to get me skewered later <laughs> business as a result The short answer is probably not. If it's a general contractor that's capable of doing all the work you need, Mm -hmm. then I would say yes. The problem Mm -hmm. is a lot of these assignments to claim are with roofing companies or emergency mitigation companies. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a big fan of that because they're only focused on the work that they want to do, right? Mm -hmm. So you assign the claim over to a mitigation company. They'll tell you, and they'll mean it, by the way, well, you can keep all the non-mitigation parts of the claim. 
But meanwhile, they're documenting as much mitigation damage as they can to suck right. every dollar of the claim out. And mm. you might be short. The same thing can happen mm. with your roof, right? So I'm not an assignment of claim fan unless it's a general mm. contractor that you trust mm. that will restore the entire property. Yeah. And then what I do, and this is where I'm unpopular, is I tell the contractor it's time to put up or shut up. Mm-hmm. If you want this assignment of claim, I'll give it to you irrevocably, but you're going to go mm-hmm. ahead and fix my property and you're going to deal with the payment side of everything, right? Yeah. Do not sit on my claim while you negotiate with the carrier for six months a year while I have a messed up hotel or a messed up house or a messed up whatever so you can make more money. It's your job to make the money. Mm-hmm. So fix the property and then worry about the money. Mm-hmm. How do we pick a good contractor? What are some of the things that we look, look for? Crystal ball. Um, yeah. No, I think, you know, look, contractors are like lawyers or like investors. There's good ones, there's bad ones, and it just kind of depends. Mm-hmm. Um, I think someone with a decent track record is good. Ideally, mm-hmm. if they come from a personal referral, I like that a lot. I tend to look at the people that they bring on site. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can tell a big difference between the professionalism and the quality of people that come out on site. And that means mm-hmm. a lot to me, uh, how, how the management acts towards mm-hmm. their towards their subordinates mm-hmm. that's also really really big one of the things that kills you in contracting right is labor delays and yes. if you've got management or foremen or supervisors that do not have their act together and do not have the respect of the crews the crews aren't going to show up consistently and you're going to have delays as the customer mm-hmm. so so that's what i look for i don't necessarily look for the shiniest pickup that shows up at my property after uh, after damage Mm-hmm. Um, I look for someone that I really think is going to get the work done. And then I really think that's the, the million dollar question. If you agree right now to start work and fix my property and get paid, I will give you all of the insurance proceeds. Mm-hmm. But first you have to demonstrate to me that you're going to do this work. Mm-hmm. And then we can have on the back end, if it takes longer than a certain amount of time, they discount the work. Yeah, except you don't really care, right? If the work gets done, the work gets done. So so as long as they hit the ground running and they're moving mm-hmm. quickly, it doesn't matter. Um, so that's the other thing, I guess, I'd say is you want a contract that's well-funded enough that they're not going to see delays as a result of funding. I, yeah. Look, storm chasing and insurance work is really for the big boys. Mm-hmm. It should not be a new contractor. I mean, I was telling a roofing company, and this is just roofs, not even full build backs that they should not even show up to hurricane Ida if they did not have a 30 to $40 million line of credit. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, can us as consumers hire a public adjuster? Absolutely. And can, and what's the benefit? Yeah. So I think a public adjuster is a good place to start. It's not yeah. the case in every state, but in most States it is mm-hmm. public adjusters typically by virtue of their license are authorized to negotiate with the carrier on your behalf and document the damages. Mm-hmm. It's a really good baby step in handling a claim. Okay. Again, insurance companies are much better equipped than you are, right, to handle these claims. So by getting a public adjuster, if you get a good one, you're getting someone with experience that knows how these claims should be handled and can mm-hmm. keep an eye on the claim from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. That public adjuster also, if they're experienced, probably has one or more attorneys that they trust that work in this area that they can confidently recommend. However, public adjusters are just like contractors or just like lawyers or just like investors, right? There's good ones and bad ones and public adjusters get a lot, a lot of bad anecdotal stories, right? Just because of the thing, the way they work. However, 
I would not probably handle a claim without a lawyer or a public adjuster candidly. And most people are not comfortable with the lawyer step. They feel like it's too aggressive right out mm-hmm. of the gate. So if that was the case, I would definitely get a public adjuster on board. Mm-hmm. I guess it might depend on whether it's a $5,000 roof or a $20,000 roof, you know, whether or not the attorney would be worth if I give them half the, you know, up front, you know, I don't know how that works, but um, I guess it, yeah. for me, it would depend on the size of the claim or, or should we just do it? Yeah, I think you should just do it. So I, I think you should have at a minimum a public adjuster on every claim. Mm-hmm. Now, attorneys in this area are a lot less expensive than you probably think because you're okay. used to personal injury attorneys. Mm-hmm. Um, the attorneys in this area charge a lot less prior to filing suit. Mm-hmm. So for instance, I have a lot of hotels, a lot of big commercial properties, and they just hire me right after a loss before they even tell the insurance company about it. They call me up and say, can you get the loss reported the right way? Can you go mm-hmm. get it documented? Can you make this claim? Can you handle this from beginning to end? Because I know that I'm not going to be happy with the first check anyway. So I would rather just have you steer this claim from beginning to end and be able to take it to a lawsuit if you need to. So that's how we do a lot of our commercial work. Okay. And we've had a ton of success. Homeowners are, a li- and it also depends on the region of the country, right? Homeowners are a little more reticent to hire a lawyer out of the gate. However, I think even those reticent homeowners, A, I think they're wrong, but B, I think they should hire a public adjuster because again, you know, like I was laughing at this guy that sent me the 19 shingles, you know, he's convinced that he's right. And the insurance company is right. It'll never be above my deductible. Why do you think it'll never be above your deductible? Right. So I jump on the phone with him and after five to 10 minutes of talking, he's like, wow, I was underpaid by like 30 or $40,000. And I said, yes. And we haven't even looked at your house yet. That's just based off of the damage that that particular carrier admits is there. Mm -hmm. So but you're so convinced you're right. And if he just hired a public adjuster right out of the gate, we wouldn't even be having these tough conversations mm-hmm. a few months after a storm. Well, it's been very interesting, Galen. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, how can our listeners find you? Yeah, um, we're on all the all the fun social medias. We're on Instagram, Facebook. I think we're even on Twitter. And obviously our website, insuranceclaimhq.com. Perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, Galen here. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Richer Geek Podcast, where we're helping others find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. For today's show notes, including all the links and resources from our show and more information about our guests, visit us at www.therichergeek.com slash podcast. And don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Share with others who could benefit from listening. And leave a rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. I appreciate you, and thanks for listening.